0: You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Today on the show, we're going to continue our overview of alien races in this second installment. So if you haven't listened to part one, then go check it out. Again, considering the vast and often contradicting nature of this subject, I'm choosing the versions I find most interesting, or the most well-accepted information regarding these alien races. If I don't cover the versions some of you listeners subscribe to, I'd be happy to cover it in another episode. Just email us at crypticchroniclespodcast.com. It's no big deal. And trust me, I'd be the first to admit I'm no expert on the UFO phenomenon, or ETs. Anyway, let's talk about some weird stuff. I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles Episode 5, Alien Races Part 2. Zeta Reticulans The Zeta Reticulans look very similar to the Greys, and in truth technically are the same race, but that was a long time ago. It's very important to have a dividing line between the Zeta Reticulans and the Greys because they're completely separate civilizations, with the two having completely different and distinct agendas. Both races come from the Zeta Reticuli binary star system around 39 light years from Earth. Physically, the Zeta Reticulans have the classic gray alien look. Big wide black eyes, huge head, short, limbs and appendages long and thin. But unlike the grays, the Zeta Reticulans appear a little more humanoid in facial expressions and have a way better demeanor. It's common in ufology for them to pretty much exclusively wear silver jumpsuits. The Zeta Reticulant's head is the universal sign for aliens in pop culture. The green alien head stickers you can get at Pizza Hut, for example. Their skin is smooth and healthy, not gnarly looking like the greys. The first contact with these aliens and Earth took place in 1942, allegedly meeting with the KGB for a diplomatic meeting, where the Zetas became upset at the Russians for filming them, which apparently violated the treaty between them. Afterward, the treaty being revised. Anything else from these meetings is unknown. There's been speculation that they're at least 2 million years ahead of us in technology, with their science and technology being more advanced than anything we can dream of. Supposedly, a lot of our modern technology comes from them through the great governments of the world's dealings with them. The majority of Zeta Reticulans are permanent space travelers, many spending their entire lives in space. Their current physical appearance, a side effect of indefinite space travel by evolutionary adaptation. The Zeta Reticulans hold science and technology as supreme in reverence. Almost worshipping it in a way, it's a cultural focus, and often to the detriment of other qualities of life. They are immensely reliant on their technology. They're scientific problem solvers, needing no gain or reward for their scientific pursuits always having questions relative to anything and pursuing answers, the mere act more than any reward could offer. The Zeta reticulans' consciousness can integrate into its technology, able to function their ships through telepathic commands. These beings have been involved in the evolution of many third-dimensional races, studying and experimenting on entire planet's populations, like a scientist analyzing bacteria in a petri dish. The zeta Reticulans have incredibly advanced brains, with telepathic, telekinetic, among other psychic functions. They seem to be emotionless, but that's only because they express themselves through frequencies, which are unreadable to humans. Supposedly they have time travel technology, and can exist on the fourth dimension as well as the third. So, more dimension hoppers. They can manipulate energy fields, which gives them advanced healing and the ability to create mental projections, or alter sensations. The Zeta Reticulans love teaching other aliens, well, the ones that are able to understand, and are mostly benevolent when they upgrade primitive species with evolutionary advancements, relishing in the documentation of such species' progressions. Zeta Reticulans live for their interconnectedness. Their telepathic society always in union. Without this, uh, Zeta Reticulin probably wouldn't live very long if he was separated from his species. They're not hive mind, just, uh, I guess, more social. They need the interconnectedness between each other as well as other living beings. Their spacefaring civilization renowned for forming collectives to solve problems. Their civilization's whole focus is advancement. Scientific knowledge and evolution, not only in themselves but also in others. The Zetas have come to Earth periodically since the first bacterial life forms came to Earth and have documented the advancement of many life forms on the planet. They have been misunderstood thanks to another of their species, the Grays, who abduct humans and experiment on them in traumatizing ways. The grays, a uh, slave race species to the reptilians, who supposedly have a secret agenda to repair their own DNA with our human DNA, hopefully giving them the ability to self-procreate again, ending the need to continue their existence through the cloning methods put in place by the reptilians. And though looking similar, are far more terrifying in appearance compared to Zeta Reticulans with permanent scowls, furrowed brows, and visual skeletal features. Though zeta reticulans, just like the greys, have abducted humans, it's for a good reason. And the zetas never treat humans callously or inspire fear in them. It's usually for a positive reason followed by a positive outcome. Like giving a single human knowledge on how to fix a problem in their community, or a message for human benefit. And they bring the humans back from their abductions with no memory of any traumatizing events. Well, for the most part. Usually always comes back later. It's said they need to abduct humans for medical experimentation and creating a Zeta-Human hybrid. But the human is treated kindly and with respect in abduction cases. Though they're still abducting people, which is kind of a dick move. Unlike the Greys, the Zetas communicate in a calming way with warm facial expressions. Sometimes these abductions putting information into the human universal consciousness itself, giving knowledge impossible to know otherwise. On the opposite end, the Greys abduct whoever's genes suit their current needs, the whole interaction cold and terrifying, the Greys having no concern over the fear or pain they cause, conducting themselves similar to robots. Examining naked abductees in dark, isolated alien labs. Then casually using their horrifying medical tools in plain sight of the victim. So, yeah, greys suck. But that doesn't mean the Zeta Reticulans are saints. They're just better than the greys. I mean, the Zeta Reticulans have still scared the crap out of a lot of people. The Zetas aren't intent on harm, but they're an ends justifies the means type of alien race. The Zeta's ships are thin, disc-shaped. The Greys, more dinner-plate, some shaped Makes me wonder which one of them crashed at Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. Was it the Greys or the Zetas? The Zeta Reticulans are scientists and intellectuals, first and foremost. And, unlike the Greys, exist in the fourth dimension as well as being able to manifest in the third, allowing them to literally remain unseen wherever they wish. But it's safe to say that Zeta Reticulans are neutral, if anything. I mean, considering an alignment. They're definitely not good. Since the Zeta Reticulans have uh, been visiting Earth since the dinosaurs, it's theorized by ancient alien theorists that they've influenced humankind, such as the crystal skulls, for example. Ancient and unexplainable. The skulls looking very similar in appearance to Zeta Reticulans. Most of these theories, though, and there's a lot of them. I can't help but toss out the window. These aliens are the most common of all in the UFO phenomenon, so there was way more contradicting material than other alien species I've researched. Some stating the greys and zeta Reticulans are not separate races at all, but the same greys responsible for many traumatized abductees. There's too many stories of both benevolent and malevolent grey aliens from zeta Reticuli. A lot of info on these ETs, adamant in distinguishing the two factions from one another. And they're totally different agendas. And now we'll discuss the Sasani extraterrestrial race. They're also known as the Shakani, which translates to... Beings of Light. Their homeworld is called Esasani, and is near the Orion constellation. The Sesani are near Ascension, moving from the 4th dimension to the 5th. Just like humans are supposedly moving soon from the 3rd dimension to the 4th. Our own Ascension pretty imminent as well. So we have something in common, I guess? It's believed that they're a hybrid race of humans on Earth and Zeta Reticulans. Are DNA the building blocks of theirs? Why does everyone always want human DNA? They're said to have the best traits of the two races. They have the Zeta's scientific, intellectual prowess, as well as humanity's vital emotional energy, sexual energy, and tenacious adaptability. They also have the Zeta Reticulans' telepathic abilities as well as humanity's curiosity and predilection for speedy advancement. The Sasani's demeanor is mostly likable, with humor through fluid emotions as well as analytical social perceptions. So they're very good at making other beings laugh, as well as knowing what they can and can't say. And that may just be a crude example, but it's safe to say that one of their species' traits is charisma. Sasani grow up to five feet tall, have grayish skin while still recognizably having human shades of skin. Only the females have hair, which is universally white, but there's exceptions. Their reproduction is the same as humans. Their heads aren't as huge as the zeta reticulans. Their eyes large, but not as large as the zetas, with their appendages and fingers thicker, more similar to human. Their homeworld of Esasani is translated to mean place of living light and has a small population of about 230 million. Seems small, but like the Pleiadians, it's out of respect to their planet. The majority of their population live in giant city-sized ships, the city ships up to 10 miles in length. Kind of reminds me of the craft world Eldar from Warhammer 40K. Their home world is very green and beautiful, with little amounts of structures interfering with nature. The Sasani race use their planet for recreation, introspective journeys, spiritual rituals, and what we would call camping. The planet's relatively comfortable in weather with consistent moderate heat throughout each year. Their oxygen is much richer than Earth's, and if humans went to a Sasani, they would be lightheaded for a while. But after adapting, as humans do very well, they would find the planet extremely comfortable. The Sasani evolve faster than humans, most likely due to their genetic engineering. They have a relatively peaceful civilization, and have had much guidance from other aliens, like the Pleiadians. No governments rule them. They operate by networks on an individual and group basis. No monetary or barter system exists in their society. Everything's free. Their race is spontaneous, joyful, and ecstatic. The number three is sacred, and it's seen everywhere in their civilization. It's said Sasani are not from this universe, but an alternate dimension 700 years in the future. It's not clear how they spill over into our reality, or if the space that they live in is some kind of gateway, but their universe is a mirror to ours, just an alternate timeline. No contactees have had this explained to them. But somehow these alternate timeline, alternate dimensional beings from 700 years in the future, exist in our universe as well. The Sasani are technically children of humans, just like another alien race called the Yayel and hold humans in great esteem because of this. With their love of all things, three, the Sasani consider the energy of a planet directly related to the energy of its sentient race. And on a cosmic scale, their great triad of energy being planet Earth, the planet of Sasani, and the Lyran syrian civilization. This trinity acts as a singular consciousness at another level of existence, where it connects to another triad and so on and so forth for eternity, connecting basically all living beings. The Sasani are very intent on exploring dimensions, even more so than interstellar space exploration. This is because this young race has had a lot of really ancient aliens as mentors, and it's only the young races that actually go out and explore the universe because the final journey is always more inward. The Sasani look for dimensions they've never encountered. They say they've been assisted in this exploration by non-physical beings that exist and are connected to the vibrational reels of the star system Sirius as well as other stars in the universe, meaning the Sasani race is literally partnered with beings of light. These dimensional explorers look at existence far more differently than other races. They've said to have a vague responsibility towards Earth saying they're here to reflect to us certain things, that they're interacting with us to share certain perspectives that may give us an opportunity to see within ourselves more of what it is we contain, to know more about ourselves, and to reflect to us certain ideas we may already know, but perhaps as a civilization have forgotten about. The Sasani race are members of the alliance that the Lyrans belong to. Therefore, they cannot directly interfere with Earth but have no problem influencing us from afar. They come from 700 years in the future, and are only one step ahead of us on spiritual and conscious ascension. The is Sony going from the fourth dimension to the fifth, like we're supposedly going from the third to the fourth. So it's very likely we'll be as advanced as them in 700 years, though not in the same manner. There's a lot of crazy channelings of these aliens. Their message is usually transcendental, quantum, and reality-altering advice. And they're always incredibly thankful to interact with our civilization, and grateful to be allowed to know humanity of Earth, saying it has expanded them in many ways, and have given them a great gift. Loosely quoting some channeling, We've allowed them to experience the gift of our consciousness in its unique manifestation, and that has enriched them all, supposedly. The Sasani say we're powerful teachers. Us Earth humans choosing, finger quotes, to do it the hard way. The Sasani consider us very courageous and tough, and that we have inspired other civilizations watching us. That we humans may still find our higher consciousness, even through all we endure, that they could not even think of experiencing or overcoming. And if humans can do that, than other races are capable of a lot more, too. The Sasani say they're excited to interact with us, and thankful for the opportunity, both them and all the beings that they're telepathically connected to. So, the Sasani are pretty much a benevolent, friendly race towards humans, being half Zeta Reticulin and half human, but there was never any mention of interaction between the Zeta Races. Like, why doesn't it talk about the Zeta Reticulans interacting with their child species, the Sasani? But that's just me speculating, because it never even said that they were actually created by Zeta Reticulans at all. Just that their DNA was used. But I feel like there's a connection missing here somewhere. One of the races is evil, the grays. Another one's neutral, the Zeta Reticulans. And one's good, the Sasani. Did the Greys or the Zeta Reticulans make the Sasani race from their experiments and DNA extraction from humans going on presently? I mean, the Sasani are from 700 years in the future, but they're enlightened and spiritually advanced, so it's unlikely the Greys genetically crafted them. The Greys are just evil robot slave drones who procreate through cloning. So it was probably the Zeta Reticulans commonly reported on Earth or some unknown race of Zeta. Or none of the above and were genetically engineered by a Liren or some other higher race because the Sasani don't seem evil at all, being one of the really goody-goody E.T. civilizations. I mean, they were even guided by the Pleiadians openly. Maybe the Pleiadians genetically engineered the hybrids. Anyway, I'm just going on a tangent of speculation. The Tall Whites. An alien race commonly mistaken for Pleiadians, and winners of the Most Original Name Award. At first glance, these aliens seem similar to Pleiadians, but they're very different. Whistleblowers claim the United States military, specifically the Air Force, has worked with these extraterrestrials since the 50s. They're described as human-looking, kinda, but huge sometimes taller than eight feet. They have blonde white hair or just white, just like Valyrians from A Song of Ice and Fire. Tall whites are very individualistic, but all share a physical trait of their complexion, which is white and chalky. They normally have blue eyes, but there's exceptions. Tall whites walk funny on Earth because their bodies are used to much stronger gravity. They're normally reported to wear aluminized jumpsuits of white, and that's basically across the board. They live really long, up to 800 years. They don't age like humans, but are pretty comparable to humans until they reach the age of 400, when they get another growth spurt, and that's when they grow up to 8 feet tall. The tall whites have individual talents and differing intellectual capabilities, just like humans. They can speak telepathically with their technology, which also can move things with telekinesis. These abilities are said to come from a belt that they wear, where they push buttons. On their home planet, days are longer than Earth, and they usually stay awake two to three days at a time, then sleep the same amount of time that they were awake. Their homeworld and location is unknown, but they seem to revere the star Arcturus. It's very important to them or something. Maybe their teachers are the Arcturians. The blue-skinned, most advanced, technological, spiritual, and loving race in the cosmos. But who knows, I just thought of that because they're also from there. The tall whites don't die from old age. Some unstable nature of their genes causes them to outgrow their bones, killing them. There's many historical references ancient alien theorists point out indicating the Tall Whites visited us in our past. But they say that about all aliens. Through the Tall Whites' history, their spacecraft technology has changed drastically. And even their current ships are all different from one another, according to Charles Hall, a nuclear physicist U.S. Air Force whistleblower. He says the Tall Whites allegedly shared some of their technology with the Air Force over a decent period of time. Charles Hall, one of a handful of non-combatant Air Force personnel allowed in because the nuclear physicist's scientific input was greatly appreciated, and he was integral to the Air Force commanders. Hall interacted with the tall whites many times during the technological exchanges, even sitting across from them during negotiations. He came to the conclusion they were plant-eaters, never eating the food that the Air Force brought them. Instead, eating from prepared bags of what looked like mushroom pudding. He also noticed them collecting plant seeds many times, the tall whites most likely being vegetarians, which seems to be pretty common among the ET races. It's also rumored that the tall whites had a meeting with President Eisenhower to end their nuclear warhead building in exchange for advanced technology. This is said to have happened in 1954 under the guise of Eisenhower needing immediate dental surgery. A cover to treat with the tall whites. But this meeting didn't go well. It said shortly after the Greys offered Eisenhower tech, and he could keep developing the nukes. The Greys just wanted to abduct and experiment on the American people without question, with any civilian stories or worries suppressed by the government. It said the president accepted this deal and a boom of tech industry shortly followed. Contactees have often said the Tall Whites do not pose a threat to humans, and principally engage in exchanges with governments. They also mainly use the Air Force bases as a type of rest stop for their deep space travel. They seem to have no ulterior motives, and no abductee encounters have ever been reported concerning them. Not much is known of any religion the Tall Whites may believe, But whistleblower Charles Hall overheard a woman reference God while talking to them. And oddly enough, they seemed to understand. To Hall, the tall whites appeared envious of humans' ability to multitask, the aliens seemingly only able to focus on one thing at a time. To them, human bodies can take tremendous physical damage and heal quickly, unlike their own. They view humans as civilized, but rough-and-tumble creatures our discovery of nuclear weapons frightening them. Charles Hall says that many never learned English, and if trying to communicate and their devices were not with them, they would just point and grunt to get their meanings across. Their vocal cords emitted frequencies humans could not understand by ear, the tall whites almost fully reliant on their communication devices to talk with us. And when tall whites were talking amongst each other, their lips would move, but humans couldn't hear anything. So some people got the idea that they were naturally telepathic, but the whistleblower Hall has gone over it again and again that that's just because we can't hear, and they're not naturally telepathic at all. The technology that they did exchange with the Air Force is said by Hall, among others, to be related to building better radios or electronics, allowing better quality of overall products as well as building materials. Or they'd exchange information relative to medicine, food, clothing, the solar system, and plastics. In return, the Tall Whites received a deep space base, as well as future trade goods based off of what they'd given to the Air Force. The Tall Whites, however, had no desire to exchange any advanced tech, like anti-gravity, space-faring tech, or advanced weaponry, and basically refused to give any technology that too outstretched our current development. However, the Tall Whites are a rare ET race to be encountered, according to ufology, even rarer in recent times. Basically, steadily falling off the map ever since the 70s. But the tall whites have no negative stigma attached to them. Their interactions with Earth mostly business. Other than trying to get rid of nukes, that is. the Flatwoods Monster. These frightening aliens stand around seven feet tall. Their bodies are black, and they have a dark, shovel-like head with red glowing eyes. Their skin is no skin at all but a dark-plated exoskeleton. Contactee accounts differ, some saying that they don't even have arms, or at least viewable ones with human eyes. But others say that they have long, bony, insect-like appendages that protrude from the front of their chests. Their fingers long, many-jointed talons. The original sightings of these aliens took place on September 12, 1952 in West Virginia. Three preteens witnessed a bright object falling from the sky onto the property of a neighboring farm. The kids got adults, telling them what they'd seen. Others joined them to go look at the possible asteroid including National Guardsman Eugene Lemon. They reached the top of the hill where the object had landed, allegedly seeing what they described as a massively pulsating ball of fire. There was a miasma-like mist that caused irritation to the noses and eyes of the people during this close encounter. Then one of them noticed glowing orbs coming from the darkness of the trees and illuminated the spot with a flashlight. And there was the otherworldly visage of the alien. The creature charged at him, in an unnerving glide as it shrieked a hiss-like cacophony that boomed throughout the area. But all of a sudden it stopped. Then the alien abruptly changed direction, moving instead towards the bright ball of fire. This made the witnesses think it was a good time to get out of there. So they ran. The next day, upon investigation by the sheriff, there was no evidence of it at all other than a sickening, burnt, metallic smell. But later, when Lee Stewart, co-owner of the local newspaper, returned to the scene, he discovered odd vehicular tracks in the mud, as well as a black, oily substance. Lee Stewart then conducted many interviews. It was discovered a mother and her daughter experienced a similar event just a week earlier. The daughter, so affected, she was forced to remain in a hospital for weeks. The director of the local board of education came forth, stating he saw a UFO fly away into the sky the same day of the incident, as well as the accounts of many other witnesses who oddly had similar stories, but no relation between one another, giving the newsman Lee Stewart even more belief that the events had credibility. When the dust settled, many of the witnesses suffered similar symptoms of sickness, the witnesses attributing the illness to exposure of the mist around the alien and its UFO ball of fire. A doctor who treated them said that they showed symptoms similar to soldiers who were the victims of mustard gas attacks. Hysteria was another common symptom, but that was probably just from seeing something so nuts. I'm surprised at least a couple didn't lose their sanity altogether. The Frametown monster is considered the same aliens as the Flatwoods monsters because of the many similarities. Those encounters in Frametown almost identical in nature, except this time the witnesses were in a car and drove right into the mist. Some say the alien's nightmarish body is just a robotic exoskeleton of the true alien inside the creature using the contraption to be comfortable in Earth's atmosphere. But that's just speculation. The Flatwoods monster really hasn't been seen since the 50s in these handful of accounts. But it's been associated with the Mothman sightings, the Bringerville Omen in West Virginia, as well as other accounts of strange lights and objects in the area. The evidence, on the other hand, would suggest that the encounter with this alien race is isolated to the original close encounters of the 50s, reasoned as most likely a one-time visit for unknown purpose. Maybe the Flatwoods monsters were just on a long interstellar journey, and needed to stretch their legs. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. I'll be right back after a quick break. Don't go anywhere. listeners cryptic chronicles is available on itunes as well as all popular podcast apps and web hosts or please visit us at cryptic chronicles for full content send us an email we would love to hear from you join us on our social media to keep updated and thanks for supporting the show please leave us a good review on itunes to help grow the podcast but most of all thanks for listening to some bizarre aliens, the insectoids, better known as the mantis race. The mantis supposedly come from the Sombrero Galaxy, 28 million light years from Earth. So they're road trippers like the Andromedans, because 80 million light years is really freaking far away. There are many insectoid races originating from the Sombrero Galaxy but only one in particular has an impact and consistent involvement in our galactic community, the mantis race. Evidence suggests the mantis are manipulative, and not what they seem, showing a talent for deception and subterfuge. They're excellent at manipulating emotions to their own agenda. They look kind of like a praying mantis on Earth, but not really. They're bipedal beings who walk and use limbs, just like humans. Except they don't have skin, they have an exoskeleton. And it looks really freaky bug-like, with big black saucer bug eyes. They're very tall. When standing up straight, they can reach up to nine feet. Their torsos are long and thin, just like their limbs that have way more joints than humans. They come in a variety of colors, from greens to browns to blacks, even white. Their exoskeleton looks like it's coated in an oily-type substance at all times, and are seen wearing long robes on many encounters with them. There's a picture that exists of one that was taken in Taiwan. I'll put it in the show notes, so check it out. And apparently photo experts say it's legit. These beings have heightened awareness almost like a form of radar. The ships they use to travel through space are not ships at all, but spherical orbs that emanate light and more teleport than travel through the cosmos. Some sources say that these beings aren't even from the Sombrero Galaxy, but are actually from the Orion Belt, or even the Draco system, and are part of the Reptilian's empire. It's easy to assume these insectoids inspire great fear in humans. Though not nearly as often reported in encounters as other aliens, the mantis command just as much attention. For obvious reasons, they communicate telepathically to humans, because their language is unnerving clicks and clacks with one another. They have technology that emanates an illusion over them, allowing them to appear human and move around among us often the hologram or illusion to cease in an instant to the horrified onlooker. Most mantis abduction tales consist of a human being frozen in sleep paralysis and feel an ominous presence of the aliens before they bend down to look at them. When abducted to the mantis vessel, the insectoids perform medical procedures and instances of interrogation. The mantis are served by greys on their vessel who do their bidding basically like robotic automatons. The motivation behind mantis abduction is mysterious. Sometimes they're uplifting, even positive, using holographic projections to educate the abductee. And there's many accounts of these holographic projection abductions. Mostly these education abductions revolve around the impact humans are having on the Earth and possible negative outcomes. But there are other reports more nightmarish. Post-abduction and returned home, some abductees claim that they've gained psychic powers from the encounter. In some encounters, showing the mantis to have a powerful influence to end fear in a human being during an encounter. However, for every benevolent tale of the mantis, there's a darker one, too. A large majority state that the mantis have no interest in humankind's well-being calling humans a resource, and that it's not right that Earth can't be conquered and controlled. Some abductees say they want to harvest our DNA, to create hybrids of our two races. Some abductees report the presence of tall blacks, strange dark aliens more humanoid than insectoid, given the thought that these creatures are some kind of earlier hybrid. Some abductees claim to be taken to another world, where the Mantis are taskmasters, or overseers, to chained humanoid beings performing hard manual labor. Or taken somewhere that other aliens are subdued just like the Abductee. In any case, their interest in human DNA is apparent, based on Abductee accounts almost always having their DNA a focus by the Mantis in the encounters. The Greys want our DNA, the Mantis want our DNA, everybody wants our DNA! What is so special about human DNA? Frightening medical procedures are a common theme in the insectoid accounts. But what about the positive? Or, if you can call them positive encounters, do the mantis hypnotize humans to be calm? Or do they genuinely put the abductee at ease? In some cases, there's even positive and negative mantis in a single encounter. There's accounts of many abductees forced to march around by a mantis overseer totally naked, men and women, then forcing the men and women to have sex with hybrids, basically as the mantis watches. And it's stated during these sexual encounters, the mantis is more than watching the act, but seemingly to feed off of it in some way like it could telepathically absorb the emotions and physical sensations in some telepathic manner. Some abductees are asked to stay and not go back to Earth by the insectoid hybrids they had many sexual encounters with. Some female mantis, in reports, seem to go out of their way to calm and reassure abductees, even letting the human get close to study the bony contours of their exoskeleton. The mantis seem to be very proud beings, exerting a powerful presence. From abductee report to abductee report, the mantis' demeanor ranges from loving and gentle to harsh and cruel constantly, many times in a single encounter, or among the different mantis present at the encounter. Whether they're just morally shades of gray as humans are, or good cop, bad cop sociopaths, it doesn't matter. An encounter with a mantis is most certainly not in any human's benefit. If they're so worried about the Earth, then why don't they abduct world leaders instead of common Joes? For an advanced species? That's just dumb. and straight from the Old Testament are the Nephilim, also known as the Anunnaki. These deities are found in the mythological traditions of the Sumerians, Akkadians, Assyrians, and Babylonians, as well as the most widely read book in the world, the Bible, mentioned in looked-over parts of Scripture in many important passages. The word Anunnaki was first presented in the work of Zachariah Sitchin. Who wrote famous books on ancient Sumerian tablets he deciphered dating back to the start of recorded history and having a definite comparative relationship with the Bible. These scriptures are overlooked by most readers, but imply many odd things. For example, the Bible verses concerning giants should build some questions, because translations from one language to another can often lose some meaning in the process. The Sumerian civilization had a complex written language, advanced knowledge of mathematics, science, and astronomy. The gods of the Sumerians have similar archetypes to Greek, Roman, and Viking pantheons common in the ancient cultures. Same thing, different names. The Anunnaki also share bonds with the Watchers, found in the Book of Enoch, the Watchers of the Garden of Eden. These books contain content concerning Noah, the Deluge, the global flood that reset civilization. In it, the Watchers are a group of angels who descended to Earth. These angels were the parents to the Nephilim. Famous names of the mainstream Bible are directly referenced, like Azazel, Raphael, and Gabriel. Though the books of Enoch are not technically part of the scripture of the Old Testament, it was official at one time. And many references of the Nephilim still snuck their way into the official Bible anyway. The more interesting thought is the question, why did they remove these books? It's odd that official books of the Bible, removed books, and the ancient Sumerian tablets all correlate with one another. Not only with giants, but with the rulers of the Anunnaki, Enki, and Enlil, among others. And a lot of other coincidences, too. Where things start to differ is in the Sumerian version. The Anunnaki are gods, not angels. And that's just the start. Zachariah Sitchin came to the conclusion by these ancient Sumerian tablets that the Anunnaki were aliens and not of this world, who came to Earth and genetically altered mankind into its current form. According to Sitchin, they come from the planet Nibiru, which has an interstellar connection to our solar system. Nibiru is also called Planet X. These ancient tablets that were the basis of Sitchin's work were found all the way back in 1848 in current-day Iraq, the Near East. They've been dated back to the 7th century BCE, making them really old. The first and foremost of Sitchin's books is entitled The Twelfth Planet. I read a couple of these books about 10 years ago and got pretty interested in it. Many depictions of these tablets can be translated in a sci-fi manner. The Anunnaki style was uh, similar to ancient Persian. These aliens are taller and much larger than humans, but otherwise indistinguishable. They're immune to disease and don't age past a certain point, making their lifespans eternal. Unless they're killed somehow. So they're not immortal, but could hypothetically live forever. And of course, these ETs visited Earth in prehistory, taking notice of Earth's precious metals, specifically gold. The Anunnaki wanted this resource, building a settlement on the planet, and establishing dominance over our world. But after some internal conflict, it was agreed to create a slave species as a source of manual labor. So the Anunnaki did the most reasonable thing and mixed their genes with primitive man. After experiments, They eventually had their slave race to mine gold for them. Us. Human beings. But they made us weaker with short lifespans among many more biological vulnerabilities. Someone really should have told these advanced aliens who somehow made it all the way to Earth just to mine gold that there's easier ways to get gold. It's literally everywhere in the cosmos. You can get it anywhere. You can get it basically on every planet in abundance. And why didn't they invent machinery? Come on, Anunnaki. Supposedly when they made us humans and they gave us short lifespans, they did it to keep us in line. That's why we're so vulnerable to sickness and being murdered. And that's pretty heartless. The Anunnaki are religious, but it's a mysterious tradition. Violence is a common tool in their culture, their character individualistic self-grandiose, and very human. The Anunnaki are giants, their size and strength being drastically superior to humans. Though there were Anunnaki who were agreeable with humanity, but they were a minority. These so-called gods even having some hybrid children with humans. Remember these guys were giants? That is really weird to think about. It gave birth to the great heroes of myth, and the giants the elite puppet rulers of us, who only answered to the Anunnaki. Then these so-called gods had to leave Earth. Accounts vary on why, but common take is war, maybe even civil war. But one day the Anunnaki will return, humanity's reception with their creators unlikely to be beneficial to our civilization. It's a cool story. At the time Zachariah Sitchin wrote the books, The Sumerian language on which the ancient tablets were written was only known and translatable to a select few experts. In recent times, not so much. Tons of inaccuracies in Sitchin's translations were found. He was very frivolous in assigning meanings to ancient words. There's constantly quotes out of context. He made connections that distorts evidence. His true knowledge of the ancient Babylonian language not as great as he thought it was. This has been proven by him using inaccurate references, and was all around selective and contradicting with his evidence. I think a part of it was the scientific limitations he had. In truth, Zachariah Sitchin's linguistics, anthropology, biology, and astronomy seem amateur at best to modern experts. He even completely ignores the world outside of Mesopotamia. So, Zachariah Sitchin's versions of the Anunnaki are way more myth than fact, and have spawned many other versions of contradicting theories. Like, the Anunnaki didn't create humans. Humans were already here. They just altered a group of humans to make them subservient. Or that the Anunnaki were a product of the reptilian hybrid result with the Syrians, and they're part of the reptilian faction. Some even saying that they've turned from bad to good joining the same alliance the Lyrans are in. The contradicting information regarding these aliens is a mess. But there's a little bit of truth in every myth, because there's definitely something weird going on concerning these Nephilim and Anunnaki. Last, but not least, is the Yel. Of all the Liren family of races that want to be super friends with humans, the Yel are probably the most eager. And the Yel aren't insanely ancient like the others, but are part of the galactic family. They consider us their creators and parents. This is because human DNA was used to create them, and is the majority of their hybrid genetic code. We humans, the template. The Yahya look very similar to us in appearance, but still distinctly their own. They vary in appearance as much as humans, with different shades of skin, different eye colors, hair, etc. They're a very graceful race, with any movement smooth and purposeful. The most notable difference from humans in their appearance are their large vibrant eyes, their pupils very large, and their uniquely abstract bright eye colors. Though they are shorter, have four toes, smaller ears, thinner lips, but they are one of the most human-like in physical appearance, behind the Pleiadians. And there is no other race closer related to humans. Why our DNA was taken to make them, and the reason why they're in the galactic community and not humans isn't known. Some sources said it was because of the karmic shockwave from the time of Atlantis. And some screw-up then having to start civilization again from scratch. A karmic stain on humanity's earthly incarnations ever since. Humankind's advanced civilization collapsing to a primitive world. The Yel hold none against us, as do many Lyran races. It's theorized the Yahyel simply never fell from grace as humans did, never been put in a quarantine, which is why they are so much more advanced than their progenitor, humans. The Yael have a very balanced and healthy relationship with their technology, never allowing it to damage their homeworld or well-being. Pregnancy in Yael females is almost the same as humans, lasting seven to eight months. In Yael society, they eat, sleep, dream, and value life and the present moment together, rarely engaging in the delights life has to offer alone. They live on two planets similar to Earth but their location has never been shared. The Yael value harmony, balance, and inner peace. They want to share their history and our forgotten history with us, where we come from and how we got there. The Yael want to be the ones to teach us the timeless knowledge of the universe and help guide us in taking our first steps into the stars. These aliens are the only ones to have permission to reveal themselves to us and has already done so not just to reveal themselves, but to gauge our reaction. On March 13, 1997, one of the largest UFO sightings in history took place when the Yell flew their V-shaped spacecraft over several American cities, including Phoenix, Arizona. Thousands of people witnessed the Yael UFOs, with a cascade of verbal testimonies, as well as video and photo evidence easily available to view by anyone who searches for it. This encounter would be known as the Phoenix Lights. They decided we weren't ready, so now they're taking their time, visiting in non-threatening UFO reveals, and contacting humans not only in face-to-face encounters, but through channeling, dreams, and meditation. Their plan is to show themselves more and more until we're comfortable with it, and once humanity seems ready, they'll land their ships and come out. Apparently, for the first time in a long time, humanity's karmic energy is coming into balance. This is why UFO sightings are increasing. The Yael are much more advanced than us spiritually and mentally. It's easy for them to pick up on our mental callings through their mastery of telepathic discipline, allowing many Yael diplomats to interact with humans who possess enough awareness and a quiet, disciplined mind. The Yael symbol is a triangle unconnected at each end to symbolize their incompleteness. When a formal relationship between the Ya and humans has solidified, they'll complete the triangle, making it whole. So remember there's no proof for 99% of what I've talked about. I also left out a lot, but I covered the main ones for the most part. There's a lot more to cover, so I could always do another, and we could get really weird. Ufology and the whole phenomenon is interesting. I really had a blast making these episodes. I don't believe any of it, but I don't not believe it either. Well, other than the Phoenix Lights incident. Something weird is definitely going down with that. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, as well as all popular apps and host sites. Visit us at crypticchroniclespodcast.com for full content. And if you enjoyed it, please leave us a good review on iTunes. We could really use it. I'm your host, Tim Hacker. Thanks for listening. Bada bing, bada boom, bada bing, bam boom.